Hello, friends. I'm Luke, and I serve on the music team at Holy Family. We continue to hear stories from people like you who listen to the Holy Family podcast and consider Holy Family your church. And whether you're someone who's constantly on the go, hasn't found a church community where you live to which you can belong, or someone who's wondering about the shape of your faith, we are honored to be with you by sharing these reflections from our Sunday liturgies. We rely on the generosity of our congregation, which includes you wherever you listen, to help our ministry achieve and maintain financial health. If this podcast has been a gift to you, would you consider making a contribution so that we can continue offering resources that welcome questions, curiosities, and doubts? You can make a gift by following the link in our show notes. That's at holyfamilyhtx.org. From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. If you grew up in church, you probably know this gospel from today. And it's stories like these that really make me pause to wonder if I actually want to follow a God like Jesus Christ. I think I do. And on my best days, I I want to, and I even try to. But it's stories like these that really make you stop in your tracks and say, boy, this God is just not the God that we would have thought up ourselves. I want to read this story about the Good Samaritan three ways. First, as a story about a lawyer's question. Next, as a story about you and me. And third, as a story about the entire work of God. Here's the first reading of the story. It begins with a question from a lawyer. Teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus is a preacher from a little country town, and now he is in a public Q&A with a very impressive lawyer. And Jesus says, will you tell me what is written in the scriptures and how do you interpret it? And notice he asks two questions, and both of those questions are important ones to ask. What is written in the scripture? That's question one. How do you interpret it? That's a second question. Now, perhaps you today find yourself on the other side of some form of fundamentalism, and you're trying to figure out just where the footing might be on something like a faith for you at this point. Please be assured that Jesus Christ knows that it is not enough to simply ask, well, what does the Bible say? 
That is a good question to ask, but it's not the only question. Jesus Christ then follows it up with the important question. How do you interpret what the Bible says? The Bible says a lot of things. How do you interpret it? And the lawyer gives a correct answer. And it boils down to four words. Love God, love people. Jesus says, not bad. That, yes, that. You do that. You love God, you love people. You will find that you are living the eternal life. You want to live a good life? You want to live and really feel like you're living and not just existing? Love God, love people. That's a good life. I mean, think about that. For all the ways that, to be autobiographical, that we complexify Jesus-centered living by constantly trying to problematize the phenomenological presuppositions posited to us throughout the great tradition, Jesus says, Jacob, I mean, holy family, if you want to live a good life, love God, love people, and chill out about the rest. But then the gospel uses the word, but. You'd think that the lawyer would just say, okay, well, hey, that's, well, great. Glad we had this interaction. No, the word, but comes into the narrative. But the lawyer wanted to prove he was right. <laughs> I wonder if you have ever wanted to prove that you were right. And so he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I mean, imagine being dissatisfied with Jesus Christ telling you that you got the answer correct about how to live eternal life. And instead, you really just feel a need to further justify yourself in the presence of Jesus and others. Instead of being humbled and satisfied and content, knowing that the secret to living a full life is loving God and loving people, and instead of just turning on your heels to go and do that, instead, you want a little bit more. You want a little public vindication, a little more prominent recognition, a little more prestigious notoriety in front of your peers from the mouth of Jesus. And so you say, uh-huh, yeah, but who is my neighbor? And then Jesus Christ does what he often does when he's asked questions like this. He makes up a story. I mean, isn't that kind of a wonderful thing? When God came to us and tells us the most important things, God didn't do it by lecture or lesson or podcast or sermon or tutorial. Instead, God just started making up stories. I mean, it's kind of an amazing thing. Jesus doesn't say point one. He just says, oh, once upon a time and make something up. A man went down from Jericho once upon a time, was assaulted on the road. They beat him senseless. They stole his watch, his phone, his cards, and they stripped him naked. Then they threw him in the ditch to die. After a few hours, a member of the clergy walked by and saw the man in the ditch. And the clergy scooted to the other side of the road without making eye contact. A couple more hours pass and a Levite comes by, someone just a little further down the chain of command from the priest in the temple. And they do the same thing. They see the man lying in the ditch 
and they scoot to the other side. Finally, a Samaritan comes. Now, you might not know this, but Samaritans and Jews hate each other. This is an old hatred that goes way back, and it has to do with land, it has to do with religion, it has to do with politics, so totally unrelatable. Uh, they are all tied up in hatred for one another. And when the guy in the ditch sees his enemy walk by, I wonder what he thought. When the Samaritan saw his enemy in the ditch, he was moved, not to the other side of the road, but he was moved with compassion. So he walks over, he bandages him up, heals him with oil and wine, gently places the wounded man on the donkey, takes him to an inn and says to the innkeeper, hey, look after him, please. Take good care. So then Jesus ends his story by saying to the lawyer who's asking, how do I get eternal life? Jesus asked the lawyer a final question. You tell me, which of those three people ended up being the neighbor? And the lawyer, always with the right answer, says, it was the one who showed mercy. To which Jesus says again, right. So go and do that. This brings us to the second reading of the story, making it a story about you and me on the fifth Sunday after Pentecost. Jesus. I mean, if you really want to live a good life, you can just go and love God and love people. Jesus Christ tells you that is a full life. And if that seems too easy for you or too squishy or too, you know, imprecise, you really need something tangible to do. Go and show mercy to other people. Because mercy is at the heart of God. Now, I know that people like you love to talk about justice, and you even like to dabble in it from time to time, especially social justice. Um, although I can't ever get Professor Hauerwas's quip out of my mind, what kind of justice isn't social? It's a good question to ask. And I know that you love justice, but here's why following Jesus is harder than it thinks, than it appears to be. Jesus says, you're not just called to do justice, though you are. It's more. You also have to figure out how to show mercy. Social justice is good. It is necessary, especially if you want to lead a Jesus-centered life. But any form of justice that forgets mercy and is not funded by compassion is not justice shaped by Jesus Christ. Justice and mercy are the Tigris and Euphrates running through the heart of God's dream for this world. However, I must resist this telling of the story here because it's about to turn into a do-gooder sermon. And it's always too easy to cast ourselves as the would-be Samaritans. You really want to read this story as a story about us, and I'm not sure you do. Don't cast yourself as the Samaritan finding people upon which you may bestow mercy. Rather, you put yourself in the ditch being left for dead. 
How does this story sound to you if you are the one in desperate need of help looking for life? The lawyer's question is how to live. The one who is trying to live in this story is the one left for dead in a ditch. In Jesus' story, the lawyer learns about genuine love from the merciful acts of his enemy. The lawyer certainly had a low opinion of Samaritans, and in Jesus' story, the Samaritan is the only one who shows mercy to the one who's dying. This is the real sting in Jesus' story. The lawyer kept pushing for more from Jesus, and I'm really not sure the lawyer was interested in hearing what Jesus had to say. And I'm not sure I'm ready to hear what Jesus has to say. But uh, as my preaching professor used to say, you don't preach because you're ready to preach. You preach because it's 1030. So uh, ready or not, here comes Jesus. Jesus tells a story that says, if you cannot see your enemy as crucial and integral to your own salvation, your own liberation from the ditch, it will cost you your life. Because the people that you think are your allies will walk by you. In other words, if we refuse to view our enemies as our neighbors, we best get comfortable in the ditch, my friends. Jesus imagines a future for us beyond enemies. I wonder if we really want a God like Jesus who would dare to tell smart, creative, likable people like you that the only chance you have at living the good life is if you are able to believe that you living the good life depends on you being able to view your enemies not as enemies, but through the eyes of mercy. I mean, you tell me, if Jesus tells you the story of the Good Samaritan, where's the sting? Because Jesus' stories always have a stinger in the tail. Maybe for some of you, Jesus' story stings because you're just going to have to accept the fact that the only person who stopped to help somebody like you was a person, you know, who's like basically a godless liberal who parked their Subaru and came across and offered you a hand out of the ditch. But for others of you, this story stings because you may have to accept that when Jesus Christ tells you this story, the only person who's coming to save you turns off the conservative news radio puts their MAGA hat down, keeps the guns in the back of their truck, and comes over and asks to help you out of the ditch. You really want to follow a God like this? Jesus Christ forces us to see our enemies as people who are bound up in a mutual salvation. The thing about Jesus is it actually is as simple as loving God and loving people, but his vision of loving people is bound up in enemies showing mercy to one another rather than leaving one another to die. And we live in a world that is just fine leaving our enemies to die. And there's no good reason to want your enemy to live other than Jesus Christ. There has to be a greater vision that Jesus Christ is calling us to. Which brings us thus to the third telling of this story. How is this story a story about the entire work of God in the world? Well, we all fell from heavenly Jerusalem to fallen Jericho, cast out of paradise 
All of humanity has been stripped, beaten, and left for dead by the hostile powers of this world of evil and death. We are dead in the ditch. And take it from me, the clergy aren't going to help you. They're not here to save you. The law and the prophets, they're not going to get you out of the ditch. But a Samaritan comes to where the man was, where all of humanity is in the ditch, goes and binds us up. The text says a stranger, one who was like an enemy, was on a journey and came to be with the one in the ditch. Who is that? Jesus Christ is the Samaritan. We are the ones in the ditch left for dead, unable to save ourselves. Jesus Christ comes to us, bandages our wounds, tends to us and heals us with the oil in baptism and the sacrament of new wine. And then Jesus takes people that he raises to life and he drops them off at an inn. Drops them off with innkeepers, which is a way to say, you are not the good Samaritan. Jesus is. He is the one going, rescuing people left for dead. That's what Jesus Christ is doing in this world, raising people to life. And what he does after he brings them to life is he looks for inns and innkeepers who will be ready to receive those who do not have an inn. He for whom there was no room in the inn always rescues people and brings them to inns that have room. Which means if Jesus is the Samaritan, you, holy family, are the inn. A church for people without a church. An inn for people without an inn. And if you really want to get on board with what Jesus Christ is doing in this world, believe that he is raising people to life. And he is looking for inns where he can drop people off and say, now you take care of them. Are you going to be that type of church? That Jesus Christ can continue to drop people off? Will you care for them? Will you actually be a church for people without a church? Are you ready to be that type of church that Jesus Christ can entrust people that he's raising back to life? We shall see. find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.